You're listening to the Keon Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee. Our guest tonight, Mike Goldberg of MMA World, currently with Bellator. Before that, the UFC and someone who has Northeast Ohio roots right here in North Olmsted, Ohio, where this broadcast is taking place. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Mike Goldberg. On the hotline now, Mike Goldberg from the MMA World, Bellator, his current place. And I'll tell you, before we put this guy on the phone here, I was just at our old alma mater tonight about an hour ago running around the track. They were having football practice, and everything just felt like we were at home. And uh, certainly, fingers crossed that we get some high school football in a few weeks. But North Olmsted, where I am from, is known for their hockey. And on the phone with me now, not only is this guy one of the top MMA analysts in the game, but he's also one of the greatest hockey players to ever come out of Northeast Ohio. He is Mike Goldberg. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vince. I appreciate it. That is uh, very high praise. But I will humbly say that the line of Goldberg, Browski, and Weisbart is still number one all time in North Olmstead history. Now, my brother and you know Keith Sabin and some of his line mates will say, "Well, we played Olmstead Falls all the time," and you know they'll give all these kind of excuses to why Brow and Barth and I lit it up and we shoot them down right away, you know, obviously. But, you know, you can't pick your opponents. You can pick the top of the net, and that's what our line did. So I appreciate the kind words, buddy. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, before we jump into into all that good MMA stuff, I got to throw it at you, man. You know, you you grew up here in in northeast Ohio, um, you know, a little bit of Cincy, but mostly here in the Cleveland area. You, I know you played for North Olmsted. We just talked about it. You went on to the University of Miami, and I want to say they used to be called the Red Men. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Now the Red Hawks, and then you go off to 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 you know from there to do your stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is Northeast Ohio roots, Ohio roots, and here you are, a San Jose Sharks fan. How the hell did that come about? All right. Well, well, it started this way. First of all, as the T-shirts said when I was in school, Miami is in Ohio. Damn it. And so the University of Miami, Mr. McKee, is in South Florida. Miami University is in Oxford, Ohio. And I am a red skin, not a red hawk as it is now. I think, wasn't it St. John's who changed to the Redmen? Yeah, absolutely. They went went to the Red Storm or something, and now the, the Redskins are doing it. And uh, University of North Dakota changed their name, but... Yes, I was a Redskin, uh, class of 86, which makes me um, older than you. I'll I'll, I'll be nice to myself here. And, um, yeah, I had a blast down there, interned at Channel 5 in Cincinnati. We grew up being North Olmstead kids in orange and black in basically Flyers colors. We grew up Flyers fans. Um, And I was born in 1964, so if anybody knows their hockey and does the math, I was 10, 11 years old during the heyday of the Broad Street Bullies, and I was the captain. And so I wore number 16, Bobby Clark, baby. <laughs> and my favorite player growing up, and still my, my favorite all-time flyer, my second favorite would be Coyotes head coach Rick Tockett, uh, had his credit card. I think it was a PNC Bank credit card at one point. But Clarky was the guy, and so I wore number 16 my entire life. My younger brother, Todd. Uh, who was the class of 87 at um, North Homestead, mm-hmm. wore 16. My son wore 16. And in men's league, 
uh, which I'll get to the Sharks because we actually have Sharks colors now for men's league. Cole kept 16, and I went to 48 for Tomas Hurdle because he always smiles, and I think he's awesome. Personality and a great player. Um, so we were big-time Flyers fans. Um, I remember being very young and doing my first book report on Bobby Orr, Perry Sound, Ontario. Second one was on Bobby Clark, Flin Flon, Manitoba. And I went running in to talk to my mom. And, I, you know, maybe I was in fourth grade or, you know, third or fourth grade. I'm like, Mom, Mom, what, son? I go, Mom, how do I get diabetes? <laughs> and she gave me this look. Exactly. Man. She gives me this look. She goes, son, what are you talking about? I go, Mom, Bobby Clark is diabetic. And he is my favorite player. So I want to be like Bobby Clark. And so she got a chuckle out of it. And then when I got my front tooth or front teeth knocked out up in uh, the icebox in Toledo as a bantam, I begged my mom not to get him fixed. And she didn't buy into that one either. But <laughs> that would be the story of the Flyers. And uh, the transition to the Sharks is really through friendships. I was very close to their longtime analyst, Drew Remenda. When I was in the league for all those years, ESPN, the Red Wings, a bit with the Canucks, and then my three seasons with the Minnesota Wild, because Drew is a martial artist. He has a lot of black belts and a lot of different disciplines. So he was one of the few guys that we kind of talked, you know, MMA with. And over time, you know, Drew and I were great friends, and I knew Brent Burns from his rookie year in Minnesota. And uh, Drew called me one night, and it was a huge fight. And he said, hey, Joe Thornton and the boys, they want to come to the UFC on Saturday. Can you make it happen? He goes, they're more than willing to pay. Can you make it happen? I'm like, yeah. So I hit our ticket guy and made it happen. And Jumbo, Bernsey, Logan Couture, and Jason Demers all came to the fight. JD now a coyote. And Jumbo is just one of the nicest humblest human beings in the history of life. And he said, and I quote, we are going to make it up to you the San Jose way. And so Cole and I, when Cole was little, we would go to San Jose for like two games and three nights. They'd have us go to the locker room in the morning. We would go to lunch with the boys and team lunches are, you know, they're kind of sacred, but they invited Cole and I. Yeah, Cole, like at the, you know, at the little spaghetti bar, sitting between Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton. I'm like, okay, this is a pretty good moment. Snap, snap on the iPhone. And then they had Cole and I skate in the afternoon. And we played crossbar against Drew and one of the video guys, not to get our picture taken coming out of the shark's head. And then we just went on and went down to the room and had all kinds of great times. And it's only grown from there. Um, and that's our love for the Sharks. It's through personal relationships. Um, a little easier to be a fan of a West Coast team when I live in Phoenix. And um, it's it's hard not to root for Jumbo. And, uh, and he's obviously a Hall of Famer, but uh, he's even more than a Hall of Famer when it comes to being a human being. You know, and a, a follow-up question to that. Just, um, I don't have it written down, but I don't care. I'm going to ask it anyways. We're gonna talk. We're we're gonna talk about this in a second. You know, covering the Red Wings and 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 uh, covering the Bulls and, and announcing with the Red Wings and all that good stuff. But just you know, as a father myself, you know, I get it. And it's ironic, man, because I was literally just minutes ago up at North Olmsted High School walking around the track. You know, the the coach recognizes me, and I'm talking to a, a, a local high school football coach, and I feel like a, a celebrity because somebody knows who I am in front of my daughter, and it's like, wow. You know, for you, 
though on a much, much bigger scale. Like in the quiet moments when you're trying to fall asleep or you're on a long car ride or a long plane ride, do you ever just close your eyes and think, like, holy shit, like, I can't believe my life? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and if there's ever a day that I don't, um, then I need to smack myself in the back of the head. It doesn't mean I haven't worked hard. doesn't mean I haven't had to dig deep. doesn't mean I haven't fallen into some huge potholes and had to climb back up. But, yeah, in the big picture events, I, I absolutely realize what my perseverance and hard work has turned into and that so many would dream to have the opportunity to do maybe one trip that I've been able to do hundreds of over the years, be it, you know, hockey or follow Michael Jordan directly as a sideline reporter back in the day or, you know, MMA around the world, um, you know, ACC basketball. Yeah, I, I definitely... I definitely do realize what I've been able to do in life, but the best moments for me are when I can share them. Like taking my dad, September 11th, 1985 on a two one pitch from Eric Shaw at eight Oh one PM, taking my father to riverfront so he could see Pete Rose break Ty Cobb's record. That, that means everything to me. Tony Orlando of all people, uncle Tony, as I call him now, tie a yellow ribbon. Tony is a huge UFC, Bellator, MMA fan. He's also, which shocks me, he's a Goldie fan. So I help Tony get some tickets, and Uncle Tony wants to pay me back. I'm like, I'm friends with his son, John. I go, John, I go just have your dad sing like Pat Dita instead of Candida <laughs> into a phone, and my mom, would, my mom would go crazy. John says, I got one better. Your mom just needs to fly to Vegas this date, and everything else will be taken care of. So John picked her up. She had a suite at the hotel where Tony was performing, went backstage. Actually, she met Demi Lovato's mom backstage. They all had dinner together. And we've since seen Tony on other opportunities. And we were at a Tony Orlando concert. I was with my mom, and Tony gives me a shout-out. And I just looked at my mom, Vince. I'm like, okay, of all the things you thought your kid might achieve in life, (laughs) I'm guessing you never thought that Tony Orlando (laughs) give your son a shout out um so you know that part is obviously extremely meaningful to me and at the end of the day when it comes to the joe thorntons and and many others like them of the world i truly judge them on how they treat my kids because you know a lot of them will look at me as as an equal because i'm so blessed to do what i do vince and so who's going to take it that one step further and many actors and actresses have done it for Kiera. I mean, all the way up to Dan Schneider, who's you know basically the Spielberg of you know kids television for Nickelodeon for a couple of decades, and all the way up to the Joe Thorntons and the Sidney Crosbys of the world, having time to meet Cole, and it's it's been amazing. And I, I really do base it on those things because it means a lot more to me. Don't get don't get me wrong. I I love it. It, it means it means a lot to me, um, but it means a lot more to me when I see those eyes get bright and I see my my babies, my daughter and my son. You know, twenty two and twenty, but always my babies. <laughs> see them get spoiled by big time people. Uh, that is as meaningful to me as anything that I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I totally get it. Um, you know, before I move on to the next question, I, I do want to say, and, I, and you know, we've talked about this before, but a couple of things. One, um, 
obviously, uh, I had the pleasure to to speak with you. I spoke with your dad twice, and uh, you're just such a great man. And you know, nothing but respect um, for his loss. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been praying for you. And two, you know, I, I spoke with your mom too, who was absolutely hilarious. Told the story about when you had a, you know, you're playing with some bullshit knife uh, when you were a kid. And... <laughs> Shetty and uh, my little brother Todd decided that he was going to be like his big brother. He grabbed a steak knife and goofing around, he stabbed himself in the leg. And then uh, the Smith family, Mr. Smith Wilson was the fire chief. And, you know, we lived right by Friendly's Ice Cream, so we were right across the street. And my mom comes home with an ambulance in front of the house. Um, thankfully, it was like six stitches to my dumbass brother Todd, but. Um, he's the one who stabbed himself with a knife. Somehow it was my fault. That's though, right. Always is when you're the older kid. <laughs> but, uh, yes, that, that's, that's the knife story there. Yeah, that can just crack me up. You know, it's funny shit, too, and I'll get on to the actual interview here, but seriously, like, you know, like, you don't know what you're going to come home to. My dad's been real sick, you know, and I'm not going to, like, damper this interview, but, um, kind of a funny story, a little bit, I guess. Uh, New Year's Day, he, he collapsed in, in my parents' home. Well, ironically, in North Olmsted, where I live, he lives, my parents live seven houses down from us, so I could see it. I could see an ambulance in, the, in my parents' yard, and I'm like, son of a, god damn, you know. So I go run down the street, and um, they're taking my dad out of the house, and for whatever reason, maybe because it was the middle of winter, they put the, the freaking uh, white cover all the way over his face. Like, he was, like he was, there was a dead body. They're willing a dead body in my parents' house. I'm like, you gotta be shit me. Then also, excuse me, but yeah, so all of a sudden, my dad pulls back the thing. He's like, oh, hey, boy. I'm like, what is going on, you know? So, yeah, like, you, you, when you walk into those situations, you never know what you're walking into. But, you know, kind of get... It's a blessing, and, and you're yeah. right, and it's, uh, you know, it's, I guess, comical, quote, unquote, like, you know, like you kind of described it, Vince, but they just did the same thing to my mom, she she had fallen a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. um, she's coming home tomorrow uh, from a, about three weeks at a Dignity Rehab, a great facility. They'll get your walk in and stuff again. And um, the gurney comes in, and just because they were kind of straightening things out, at one point they had the sheet up as well. And I was like, it wasn't the paramedics, pardon me. It was because it was a plain white van. Okay. which is what I saw my dad transported out with when he passed a few years ago. Um, and so the, the sheet comes, I look out in the driveway and I was like, mom's okay, but I'm just starting to ball. And, sure. you know, my wife, Fernanda's like, what? I go, that's my dad. And she knew, I mean, she knew where I was and what was going on, but, yeah, that's uh, that's a visual I hope and pray doesn't come anytime soon for any of your loved ones or anyone's loved ones, especially with the pandemic going on right now. No rush to hear any of those stories. Yeah. Uh, praise be. No doubt. So to get things back on track, <laughs> talking about sports, man, that, that's us. I've, I've known you for you know quite a few years now. I feel comfortable telling yeah. you shit. So all good. All right, so uh, talking about sports, though, you know, I, I have my my feelings on, on GSP, and we're going to get to that later. I, I feel he's the greatest. I know you believe, uh, you know, Anderson Spider Silva is the greatest, and we're going to get to that in a bit. But, um, you know, so not only have you seen them perform, but in before you even got into MMA, I mean, holy crap, do you have luck. So you cover the Russian line. You announce, you know, commentate for the Red Wings, I want to say, in either 96 or 97, the, the Russian, the famous Russian line, and then the Bulls. What are your 
What are your some of because uh, I know you could pick a ton, but only pick a couple here, I guess. What are your some of your favorite memories of being around the Red Wings and the Bulls, both during amazing, amazing periods in franchise history? Well, for the Red Wings, it was their first Stanley Cup in 42 years. So, I mean, that was the dream season to get the dream job. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick five. I'll do the quick version, which is difficult for me, as you know, but I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> first would be the Celebrity Golf Tournament was scheduled the day after I got hired. And they flew me in and they wanted me to get out there and start meeting some people and, you know, getting acclimated. And as I pulled in and with my car, because uh, I'd moved from Chicago, I pulled into the parking lot at the golf course. Um, in my car, this big Lincoln pulls right next to me and the trunk pops up and this older lady gets out, you know, good looking older lady. And then this gentleman gets out from the other side and it's Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe. And it was Gordy and Colleen. And I just was like, wow. Cause I, I watched Gordy at the Olympia when I was a little kid, when we lived in Detroit, but it's Gordy Howe. And I just did introduce myself that I'm going to do TV with Mickey Redman. That's Mike. Welcome to the Red Wings. And I'm like, I get chills just telling that story. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> In the trade on pretty much opening night was the three-way trade that brought Brendan Shanahan. Um, the day after Christmas. So this was back when the NHLPA hadn't mandated that you couldn't have a game before the day after you couldn't travel, that kind of thing. So the day after Christmas which for Canadians, you know, is Boxing Day. Sure. We had a home game in Detroit against the Washington Capitals, and nobody wanted to go to the rink. I mean, it was the day after Christmas. We didn't want to go and do a game. And, you know, I'm sure the boys, you know, were fine. But it turned out that it was a 5-4 overtime win for the Red Wings with Sergei Fedorov scoring all five goals. Yep. So what was a day when I didn't really, like, one of the few days I wasn't pumped turned out to be one of the greatest days of Red Wing history. And I remember it was just crazy. And the, and the Russian five was before, you know, the tragic accident with Vladimir Konstantinov. And, I mean, Fedorov, all five goals, including the game winner in overtime. Um, so that was one. I got to call the Darren McCarty revenge fight on Claude Lemieux. Yep. 96, Claude cross-checked Draper from behind. Plus, Draper's drawn about 18 places. Not only is he a teammate, but D-Mac and Drapes are extremely tight. And sooner or later, you knew Darren McCarty was going to find Claude Lemieux. <laughs> and it started with Larianoff in Forsberg. Then Wine Vernon goes storming out. They meet at the red line. And then Darren McCarty comes around. And he finds Lemieux. And he just, he just beats the crap out of him. Took him by the jersey. Slid him into the exact spot on the boards at Joe Lewis Arena where Claude had cross-checked Draper from behind a year ago. Slid him right there. Claude goes right off the ice into the locker room. The Joe goes crazy. The caveat to that is my partner, Mickey Redman, loved a good Donnie Brooks, still does. <laughs> but back in the day, that was when we didn't do a lot of up-and-down interviews. So Mick would go down with about two minutes left in the period to get ready to do the in-between, the intermission interview with one of the Red Wing or one of the opposing players. Nick was still smoking back in the day, so sometimes, Vince, there might be six minutes left in the period. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what? what? All right, but I'm here, you know, if I were a two-time 50-goal scorer for the Red Wings, maybe I could 
take six minutes off as well. <laughs> but Mickey missed the fight, man. Oh, because no. he was in route walking downstairs. So when you listen, like on NHL radio, 30 years ago today, it's it's me. Yep. It's me calling it by myself. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was amazing. And then the Stanley Cup run was obviously special. They beat, you know, my Flyers, uh, which was kind of crazy. Um, so bittersweet, but of course I was rooting for the Red Wings and then the biggest moment would be one of the biggest moments of my life. I got to drink out of the Stanley Cup and uh, Hall of Famer Larry Murphy held it for me. And uh, I had some, I don't know if it was champagne or beer or a little bit of both, but I drank out of Lord Stanley's Cup. So those were the highlights of my year in um, Detroit. It was very special and extremely cool to call the Russian five, to watch the way they move the puck. Very cool that Sergei Fedorov um, had the white Nike skates back then. And he was, um, he was mentoring, I guess is, was the word. The, uh, was it Anna Kornikova? What the really cute Russian girl. Yeah. And she was like, a lot too. yeah, she was like 16. Yeah, she was yep. around a lot too. Yeah. That's about what she was. <laughs> She's about 16. And so they were chaperoning her. Oh, anyway, sure. I hope they were, I hope they were cause you and I have kids and daughters. So I hope they were. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that was part of it as well. So uh, it was a fun time. No doubt about it. And you know, as our, as we've said a lot in this industry, right place, right time. And if you have the talent, anything could happen for you. You happen to be in a situation where you get a call and, uh, say, Hey, we need you to get to Japan. First, we need you to take a jujitsu class. If I'm not mistaken, I believe yeah. it was jujitsu. Get your ass to Japan. Wear a nice suit. We got this opportunity with you. SEG, the UFC. And when people, and I'll have you tell the story here in a second, but when people go back and watch that Ultimate Japan, uh, the debut of Mike Goldberg with UFC, you know, a couple things stand out immediately to me. One, it's pitch dark in the back. You can barely see any of the fans. The way they did that lighting that night, it was so dark. But also in Japan, that's the way they did it. And also, they have such a respect for MMA and also professional wrestling in Japan that it's quiet until something happens. And that's not a sign of disrespect. That's not a sign of people sitting on their hands. It's the exact opposite. They're intelligent fans who know when to cheer, know when to be excited, and they, they it's just the way they go about it. It's truly unique. I love, I used to love when they would go to Japan for that for that aspect. But, Mike, I'll have you tell the story. How did that all come about? Because it, it's pretty crazy how it went down. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely was a journey, and, and MMA was certainly an accident. It, it really was. So I, I did my time with the Red Wings, and, Went to, um, did a season or two there, and then I ended up in Chicago at Sports Channel. Mm-hmm. Or Chicago Sports Channel was prior, sorry. Um, because that was nine, uh, 89 to 94. So I was there for the first three titles. And so if you want to know what I experienced there, I can tell you this. Everybody who's listening to our me being on your podcast right now, Watched The Last Dance. Well, this is what happened in my life. I lived the first seven episodes. So that'll (laughs) tell you every story you need to know about how fortunate and blessed I was. I lived the first seven episodes, especially those Knicks series, which were outstanding. Wait, now hold on, though. Hold on. Wait, Goldie, Goldie, I got to cut you off real quick. Now, here's the million-dollar question before you get back to it. Million-dollar question. If your former college mate, Ron Harper, Covers Michael Jordan. Does the shot still happen? Um, does the shot still go in? Yes. 
it it has a lesser chance of going in than it did with the defensive mismatch of putting Craig Elo on Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And you know what? <laughs> Nobody should be dogging Elo. Um, nobody should be dogging Elo. Um, they should be talking about why Ron Harper wasn't D'ing up on Michael Jordan. And, you know, I watched Harp. We lived in the same dorm. We went to Miami in the same years. He uh, schooled Lenny Bias, the late Lenny Bias, of course, in the NCAA tournament. Miami lost in OT to Maryland uh, in the first round that year, but it was a senior year. Hart goes seven overall to the Cavs. Doherty was uh, number one uh, under Wayne Embry, a Miami guy. Yep. And Hart was, you know, Hart was amazing offensively as well, but his D, his D was as good as any in the league. Then he goes to the Clippers and he blows his knee out and then becomes a bit of a, more of a defensive specialist. But I will tell you straight out, the reason that Ron Harper became a Chicago Bull eventually is because Michael Jordan said, and I quote Jordan, nobody has ever deed up on me like Ron Harper. I think we should have him on our side. Yeah. So that's the respect that you know Michael had for Harp. And then obviously Phil fell in love with him as well. And Harp got to get some more hardware after that. But, you know, the story of Ron Harper and none of the big schools taking him because everybody thought he, he lacked a, a, a major gap of intelligence when really he had a speech impediment and he got great attention to it at Miami. So he goes to a mid-major and he still turns into, you know, one obviously one of the best, you know, Ohio kids to ever play in the National Basketball Association, but to have all those rings and have the career he did. It's a great story for the kid who started, you know, Dayton, Ohio. It's a, it's another good Buckeye story for certain. No doubt. And sorry to cut you off, though. I, I knew I just I knew that story was gold, and I wanted you to talk about it because it's just to me it was just huge. But yeah, so so back to the youth. See the shot, man. Oh yeah, I can see it. I, I, and so can every Cavs fan, you know, forever. I guess they can also see the uh, drive in the fumble and. <laughs> Great things, but yeah, well, and, I, and I love Lenny Wilkins too. So I love Lenny Wilkins, right? But I'm watching that episode. I'm watching that episode. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Like when Ron Harper says, yeah. "I was supposed to cover," I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> like, let the guy cover him. And I used to listen, you know, to Joe Tate was the man. I used to listen to Joe Tate when Lenny was playing, and then Bingo would hit, you know, Bingo mm-hmm. would hit a long dawn jumper. Bingo from 14. You know, I mean, you know, I was, I was a Cleveland basketball boy with no basketball in Cincinnati. You know, at that time, the Royals were, you know, long gone. Um, So I I liked my Cavaliers before I became, you know, a Bulls guy, obviously, because I was working for the Bulls. Um, And then, you know, I can say that I dated a girl from LeBron James' alma mater. Uh, They didn't go to school the same years, obviously. But, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary's, well represented. I got to tie in. Uh, to that as well, not just uh, King, not just King James. <laughs> oh, good man. So go ahead. I've now cut you off three separate times. You're a golden no, here. So right. SEG UFC. Yeah, I go to ESPN. I get I get an offer to do play by play at ESPN, um, which is why I left Sports Channel and after the '94 um, season, so the first baseball season um, for Michael. And I go to ESPN, and my major assignment was the NHL on ESPN. I was on the number three team with Brian Engblom. And uh, that was when, I mean, my favorite team ever, Gary Thorne, Bill Clement, 
we're our number one team. Tom Meese, uh, you know, died tragically, you know, and drowning in the pool years ago. One of the originals, Tommy Meese and Darren Pang were the number two team. And then I was on the number three team with Brian Engblom. And I worked with a guy as a producer named Bruce Connell. Well, Bruce's father, Scotty, would be on the Mount Rushmore of ESPN. Scotty is a broadcast Hall of Famer. He was one of the founding fathers and one of the guys really responsible for putting the entertainment sports programming network on years and years ago. And thus, they ended up with a family production company as well called Concom. Well, Concom had the broadcast rights with SEG. Bruce back from New York got a job at NBC in New York, so he couldn't freelance anymore. And you did it pretty well. Bruce Connell said, Goldie, 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 got a gig for you. Send your fan. I'm going to pay you this. Got to take a jiu-jitsu class. Yeah. I'm like, ah, cool. <laughs> I'll go to Japan. And uh, it was awesome. And I, I was told in advance, though, about the fact that the Japanese fight crowd, uh, Japanese MMA and wrestling crowd, is very much like center court at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So I, at least I wasn't in total shock in that regard. But I was in shock when... Olympic gold medalist, Michigan State Spartan Kevin Jackson got submitted in about 20 seconds oh, yeah. by Frank Shamrock because, of course, as a Big Ten guy, I didn't know Kevin, but that was already kind of like, I was already kind of giving a little love to the Sparty there. And um, it didn't go well for Kev. Um, but then that was the first of, man, probably about 250 UFCs, three or four years with SEG. And these guys from Zufa come in and purchase a thing and they asked brought a bunch of us guys from SEG that were able to make the transition over. Then we had this dinner in some back room in this Italian restaurant, not realizing at the point that, you know, I knew I was having dinner with these dudes who had money. I didn't realize they were billionaires. Yeah. And they asked if we had any questions. And I just asked Lorenzo, I said, Hey, will we ever be on like a billboard at the airport at McCarran or a billboard here in Vegas? He's like, absolutely. That was it. That was my expectation. <laughs> that really, that was it. Then, so I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. I'm in. All right, game over. And uh, man, what it did and what it has done and the sport that has been just magnified and justified around the world is amazing. And to be the soundtrack with Joe, they really taught the sport and helped people to understand it and legitimize it in their own minds, make it mainstream, uh, is truly an honor and in a journey that I know is a special one that nobody else will ever experience. You know, I, I, we were the first. We were the first to to take this sport from, you know, two men will enter the octagon, only one will leave, um, to legitimate, you know, world-class athletes that train and diet and do everything at the top level of any athlete in the world and compete at that level as well. It, it's unbelievable to be able to be part of that journey. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And, you know, two part question here for you as well. So, you know, one of the, I, I've watched everyone and uh, I love MMA. I love the sport. I think it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful sports in the world when you understand the true aspect of it. And the, and the one guy, to me, who really set the tone, who you, you started off working with, uh, a guy by the name of Jeff Blatnick. And I would advise all of our listeners, the late, great Jeff Blatnick, this guy, he knew his stuff. And he was legitimate as legitimate gets. 
look into his history. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And, you know, my question to you, you know, kind of two-part here. So you go, you know, number one, first and foremost, how was it working with Jeff Blatnick? And number two, transitioning from Jeff uh, to Joe Rogan, you seem to have instant chemistry with Joe. Why was that? Well, to to work with Jeff was you know, an honor and the two guys who basically, you know, took me into a big ballroom and John McCarthy drops to his back and says, come on in, kid, jump on, jump down here. And I'm like, yo, dude, I'm a hockey player. Like, I, whoa, 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 <laughs> this is jiu-jitsu. What's going on here? And of course, Jeff is sitting there laughing. Um, <laughs> and Jeff Blatnick, um, a cancer survivor, and then going on to win an Olympic gold medal as a heavyweight oh, no. in uh, Los Angeles. I mean, it's it's an amazing story, and, and and he was a guy who brought that great knowledge, especially from the the grappling aspect. and And the grapplers were dominating back then, Vince. You know, oh, and, yeah. and Randy Couture beating Maurice Smith in that main event of my first show. Yep. It's a perfect example. Maurice Smith, world class kickboxer. Didn't get off many strikes because Randy smothered him. He used his Greco. Then he used his freestyle. He put Maurice on his back. He beat him up a little bit. He pinned him against the cage. He wore him out. And he walked away with the belt. And then, you know, you you had great heavyweight champions who were spectacular wrestlers at Ohio State. The late Kevin Randleman. Mm-hmm. You know, the godfather of ground and pound, Mark, Mark Coleman. Coleman. Um, you know, the hammer and I were... It, it, it's actually funny. I was looking back at some stuff and I did this interview with a guy named Mike Holcomb who wrestled at Miami of Ohio. And one of my questions to Mike was, and this is student TV. And how about this freshman, Mark Coleman? <laughs> so freshman year, Coley actually went to Miami and he and I've talked about it. Then he transferred to the Ohio state. Mm-hmm. And um, just that I had asked that question so many years ago, it's like, Wow, that's crazy. Because Coley and I are a month apart, our birthdays, even though he looks ten years older. Uh, <laughs> he's been in a lot more he's been in a lot more fights than me as well. So having Blatt next to me and, and having him just, you know, bleed wrestling and understand grappling, understand position, which helped Jeff understand the jiu-jitsu game. And Big John's a black belt in jiu-jitsu and Jeff and John their relationship was rock solid as well. And so Jeff was, you know, kind of being tutored and mentored in the grappling aspect of it to the submission aspect of it. Um, in the jujitsu from board, the plane wrestling, if you will, and they embrace the grind, like my buddy, Michael DeSavido would say. Um, so he was able to, to capture that as well. The one mistake that I made, that Jeff was very quick to point out is I once came on the air and I said, hi again, everybody, Mike Goldberg, along with the former Olympic gold medalist, Jeff Blatnick. Great to be here. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) And and Jeff goes, we get to break. Jeff goes, Goldie, I love you, but you're never a former gold medalist. And I was like, oh, shit. No, you're not. And I have never made that mistake since then. And it's funny because... Some of the scripts I would get during my UFC days, you know, those combo features, sure. you know, might say former Ultimate Fighter winner Michael Bisping. Da, da, da. And then I went, wait, no. If you win the Ultimate Fighter, you're not a former 
Ultimate Fighter winner, you're Ultimate Fighter Season 5 winner forever. Yep. Like Olympic gold medalist. And so I used to always change the copy into <laughs> my ad lib and, and take former out. And that goes back to when I said former Olympic gold medalists to Jeff. And he reminded me that nobody came and took his medal anytime lately. So Absolutely. he's still a gold medalist. Yep. <laughs> and then Joe Rogan, man, just... uh brothers for life and um very much the same in our energy and enthusiasm and enjoyed being around each other i used to go to joe's comedy shows almost every friday to kind of have my little comic relief if you will Mm -hmm. before the big day of fights on saturday and we just we just grew on each other's excitement and and enthusiasm and passion for the sport. We, we had that same passion for the athletes, passion for the sport and belief in what it was becoming. And so that special ride that I talked about, Joe's on it as well. And we just, we just had something that very few have. And, you know, the ones that do are considered the all-time greats. I mean, I've had people in broadcasting you know, say that Joe and I, you know, were like the Summerall and Madden or are the Summerall and Madden of MMA. Absolutely. And Joe is pretty, you know, vocal that he doesn't watch any other sports. So to him, he's like, oh, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> For me, that, that, that is the, the ultimate compliment that anybody could give a broadcaster like you and I, especially when you look at the relationship between Summerall and Madden where John was the guy, boom, boom, boom. And Pat, play, he was play by play, but Pat played the game. So Pat could have gone in and done that a little bit of that play by play with a little bit of an analysis thing, but he didn't. And he set the table for John and he made John Madden the star. And he understood that they were a team and they succeeded as a team. And that's what Joe and I always had. I always wanted to put Joe in a place where he would shine as brightly as he could, which wasn't difficult with Joe because he's so outstanding, but I always knew my placement. And if it's, you know, throw a long pass and, you know, scramble to get it away, I could do that. But if there were nights when I was just handing it off or pitching it, I was cool with that too. Cause I was having fun. I had a great job. I had the best seat in the house and I was doing the show with one of my best friends in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, I grew up with Summerall and Madden, and there's, there's, you know, on now my my favorite combo now. There's really two of them that I think are both excellent. People here in Northeast Ohio, for whatever reason, they have a lot of hate towards them, and I'll never understand it because I think they're both phenomenal. One, my all time favorite, Elle Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I love Collinsworth with with, with Elle Michaels on Sunday Night Football. I think they're excellent. And the other is Aikman and Joe and Joe Buck. I think Joe Buck is terrific. He took a lot of shit from fans up here in Cleveland because, you know, he was the voice of the Cubs winning the World Series against the Indians. And, right. You know, what people need to realize out there is the announcer has zero control over the outcome of the event. No matter what it is, the, the commentator has zero control. But I know what you mean. Like, you know, you had that specialness. I know Al Michaels wrote a phenomenal book. I would advise anybody to go back and read that book by Al Michaels. Just, just tremendous stuff there. But I wanted to ask you this. I've known you for a long time now, and this is something I've never asked you, but I think it's important. And because I've talked with Gray Maynard, I've talked with Sean Shirk, talked with all these guys, and we, we've talked about this subject, so I'm going to throw it at you. 
Can you ever talk about a time where you were, you, number one, you had to miss a show because you were unbelievably sick or you had family issues going on that you just couldn't control like it was a family emergency? And number two, more importantly, quite honestly, was there ever a time when you were sitting there and you knew to yourself, there's no way in hell I should be sitting here right now. Number one, I'm too sick. My son is sick. My daughter's sick. My wife's in labor. Something nuts. Were you just ever there, but knew to yourself, shit, like, I really shouldn't be here, but you were just so damn afraid of getting in trouble or losing your job or just, you know, being punished in, in the egotistical world that promoters could have sometimes? Well, the, you know, the, the one show, and it's actually the one anything that I have ever missed in my entire career, in my entire career, the one anything I've ever missed was the UFC when I got sick and there was, you know, a lot of stupid shit written about it. But I basically had run myself down. I was going through a tough separation that ended up, you know, with, um, you know, divorce a little bit later, which happens to people. It's all good. Um, we had a ton of shows. So I was on antibiotics and then I was on such heavy antibiotics I would get thrush and thrush is basically a throat infection. So mm -hmm. I couldn't talk. And so then I go on a different antibiotic. The, the moral of the story is, is that, you know, prednisone and everything trying to keep me healthy is I, I just, I, I was a mess. I was a mess from exhaustion and I was a mess from fighting a lung infection too aggressively for what you just talked about. Not the fear of missing a show, but the fact that, I don't miss shows and, and it doesn't matter. I, I, I make it happen. And that's the way I'm built. That's the way, you know, coach Cushman who just passed, you know, mm -hmm. and I was just in North Olmstead a few months back, as you know, for crash. And, uh, that's way Ian and John, John Erickson taught us, man. It's, you know, we couldn't throw some dirt on it cause we played hockey, but we, you know, we did something, you know, wipe the blood on your jersey and get your butt back out there. Yep. That's the only show. That's the only time I've ever missed anything. Um, no, I, I, I always knew that. Well, wait, there is there is one other one that I will get to in a second that I was nervous about. Um, so everything else in between. I always knew when I went to work, I was doing it for Kiara and Cole. Now, I was fortunate when Kiara was in theater that she'd always have one, like two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, and one on Sunday. And I, if it were a 3 a.m. flight, I'd be home for her show on Sunday. Um, tough missing some of Cole's hockey games, some of the big tournaments. I had to miss a state championship semifinal game. That my assistant coaches screwed up because I was at a UFC in Seattle. <laughs> Obviously, we lost that game, and it wasn't my fault because I wasn't coaching that day. Um, and uh, I, I will. I'm glad you said that. So two years ago, our our team, our junior Sun Devils team, Cole is the captain. Um, we we went to nationals. We went to. We made our way to nationals. We won our state. We won our region. And we were going to nationals and it was Cole's first experience going to nationals. He had gone to the Quebec Peewee tournament, but many years prior. And it was my first experience as a coach. And, 
trust me, it's a lot more than just Cole. These kids I had coached for years and years and years, they're, they're all like my sons, Vince. And we had a we had a Bellator in Budapest, Hungary. And I hadn't been there that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been there long enough because all my bosses, you know, n- not Scott Coker, because that's a new relationship, but all the guys on the TV side mm-hmm. are the same guys I worked with on Spike when I did the UFC there. Sure. And I just said, you know what? This is a once in a lifetime thing. And, and I got to do this. And so I talked to Scott Fishman, my boss, and he was like, Goldie, I think you should. I agree with your decision. I, I think you should. And then they were having a little trouble finding somebody to do it. Sean Grandy, who had done Bellator previous to me, who was a great play-by-play guy, obviously has done radio for the Celtics for years. Sean was able to jump in and and do that show and save me. And he, he, it's funny, he said he did it as a fellow dad. He did it so I could be with Cole because he knows what it's like. Um, but like Big John kind of said, Goldie, you know, you might want to go to Budapest, bro. She, you know, the fish is stressing, not at you, but he can't find anybody yet. It'd be good brownie points. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't. And, uh, long story, not well, long story, a little shorter than it <laughs> could have been. Um, I ended up going to nationals and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life as a hockey player, as a hockey coach, and obviously as a hockey dad, um, Cole had some, Cole had some snipes. Our team advanced to the semifinal round. Uh, eventually got beat by a team from Maine who went on to win the national championship. And everything went great in Budapest. In the next show that I had in Bellator, everything was normal. And everyone, every single person, and John Norton, my producer, both his, two of his brothers played in the NHL, and John played at Maine. Actually, he was still playing at Maine when Paul Correa was a uh, freshman. So Nordy is a hockey guy, but, but all of them as dads said, Goldie, I'm glad you did what you did. I know you were nervous about it, but I'm glad you did what you did. So yeah, I was a little nervous to ask, but I'm glad that I did. And I think I would have really, really, you know, had a, a black spot in my heart uh, for the rest of my life if I wouldn't have experienced that trip to Nationals with my son. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's when you know you're working with a good company. To be honest with you, you yes, work around good yes. people who don't make you feel guilty for that kind of stuff. That's that to me is a big deal. Now, <clears throat> Scott Coker and Scott Coker, sorry, and you know, and I went to Coker as well, not just the TV guys, because I'm new with Coker, Vince, and so I want Scott to know that I'm committed. And Scott's text back to me was, "Goldie, it's all about family, the Bellator family, and of course your family. Go get a national championship, bud. Boom, awesome. there you go. So." I want to make sure that, you know, I also included what Mr. Uh, Scott Coker, my boss, said, which was outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's a good feeling. You know, I've done um, (laughs) clearly a much smaller scale (laughs) with everything I've done, but I'll never forget, you know, the first time I was going to cover UFC. And for me, that was a big deal. You know, I had to cover high school state championships and and, uh, MA finals and all that stuff. But um, to me, though, the UFC – was the creme de la creme because it's just something I love so much. I had never missed anything. I've never missed anything since, but I'll never forget it because it was in Cleveland. Go figure. Here we are in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. UFC, UFC, I want to say 203, I think it was, 203. Uh, Stipe's in the main event, all this good stuff. CM Punk, all that shit. 
But we get to, uh, you know, we get to the, the undercard. We get to the uh, Teenage Wastelands playing, and I got the goosebumps. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here 10 feet away from the cage covering this fight. I know that you know, Teenage Wasteland. Yeah. Well, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just goosebumped, you know, and and uh, like have a heart on, yeah. And I'm like, and then I look down on my phone, and right right as, right as the opening match of the main card, Jessica Andrade is coming to the ring, and uh, you know, I remember the song was playing, I remember all of it, like her entrance music, the whole freaking deal, dude. And I look down on my phone, and it's my wife, she's in labor, you know, get your ass to the hospital now. So obviously, I'm not gonna miss that. I get, I get in my car, I drive there, and everything, but yeah, it's like you know, when, when you really love to do something, and and you know, you wanna, this is what you wanna do with your life. You gotta play through sickness. You gotta play through illness. It's just you do whatever it takes. So, I, you know, I think that's very important. But I wanted to ask you again, and this is something. I think you got to do both. I think you still got to get most of the experience. So yeah, all right. It was nice of your wife to hold off labor for a couple of hours so you could go down to the start of the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was good. I walked in. She had the baby like six minutes later. She had it eleven fifty four at night. I'll wow. never forget it. And my buddy's call. And my buddy's calling me, and he's like. Stipe won. He's like, he was getting choked out, but Overeem and let go of the hold, and it came and knocked him out. And I'm like, dude, I got my fucking newborn in my hands, like right now, <laughs> like uh, all good. I took, I took uh, Coach Cushion and Coach Erickson down to uh, weigh-ins the day before because I knew they would. And Mr. Erickson is really watches a lot closer than than Crash did. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know they know what I'm doing, and they're fathers to me, and I'm I'm a son to them. Um, in fact, I did the speech in the honoring at uh, senior night for coach at the rec center in the same exact spot where my dad used to announce my games growing up, which, you know, so in between saying the right thing about this man I loved and Ian Cushton and think about my dad, it's like the double tears that I'm holding back as I'm trying to uh, properly honor um, Mr. Cushton while thinking about my dad standing literally where where he was but the day before I, I took the coaches down and then they sat in the truck and saw stuff and I remember coach Christian said to me he goes you know what Michael everybody you work with likes you yeah. that, that's that's how crash was and that that was the guy he, he would always say he was an end of the venture in the NHL well he played on a team when there were six teams in the league so the bench wasn't that long, Mr. Cushion. So Crash, <laughs> give yourself a little credit, but he never would. But um, that's the way he was. And Mr. Erickson was cool. He wanted a picture with Uriah and, <laughs> and this and that. Well, Jessica eyes my girl. I love her. And gave her a hug, and then I gave her another hug, I guess. And as I was leaving, I gave her a hug, and we went back to the hotel. And Keith had been my brother's best friend, good North Homestead kid. Mm-hmm. Keith was driving the coaches back to uh, North Homestead. And Ian looks at me and he goes, Michael. Yeah, yes, coach. He goes, who is that girl, that 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 fighter, the, the one from Cleveland? Um, and I kind of I look at him. He goes, the one you hugged three times. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like 53 years old. And he still knows everything. I, I can't pull anything off on the mat. And I was just like, oh, my God. Seriously, coach? He, I was busted again. Uh, it was it was hilarious. I go, her name's Jessica I, coach. <laughs> All right, Michael. All right, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, how in the world did he see that? He's the master. He's oh, the master. That is hilarious. 
So um, another question I've, I've never asked you. Um, I know you've gone on the record now, talked about it a few times. Shortly after that, it wasn't another ninety days, and all of a sudden the news yeah. broke. And I mean, and again, man, I'll tell you, the Lord works in mysterious ways that you got to do that show. You know, because again, it wasn't ninety days yeah. later that all of a sudden, yep. you know, you're no longer with UFC. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like yeah. you know, and they didn't, they never addressed it. To the point where I felt as a journalist, even if I didn't know you, dude, even if I hated your guts, all right, as a journalist, I thought it was bullshit, the, the way they handled all of it. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this guy has been with this company, you know, whatever it was, 15, 20 years, has been through all this, all these things, and then you don't even give him a send-off. It really pissed me off. For you, how hard was it? It was kind of like, okay, Ronda Rousey gets knocked out by Amanda Nunez. Oh, by the way, goodbye Goldberg. Like, what the hell happened? Um, you know, it's interesting as, as there was talk of the sale, my mom would ask me a lot and, and she never really, it was my dad. I spoke to, you know, about work all the time, but my mom would kind of throw out there once in a while, like, Michael, what, how will this ownership change affect you? Like what, what, what will this ownership thing do? And, and I kind of looked at her, not arrogantly, but I just kind of said, mom, Joe and I've been together a long time and I don't think you try to fix what's not broken. Well, fast forward to the sale and the first interest payment for the, the new ownership, oh, yeah. you know, it, you know, I am W William Morris IMG was $170 million. So basically about 150 people starting at the very, very top working their way down way too thoroughly were let go. Um, some of the jobs were absorbed within, you know, the new ownerships, different companies and departments, but guys like Tom Wright, the former commissioner of the CFL, who was running UFC Canada was let go. Marshall Zalesnik, who now runs glory kickboxing. It was a huge pay-per-view guy when the UFC was blown up on pay-per-view was let go. And I was let go as well. And it was, uh, it was very financial. Um, and at the same time, um, my, my relationship with Lorenzo was, was rock solid and, and we understood each other and I, I always delivered the messages that I was asked to. And so even with everything going on financially and I, and, and, and obviously many people thought other things and, and I wondered myself, Vince, at the time, if it was just financial, um, and I've had people tell me that on the inside that it was like, you know, if, if Dana and I were best, best buds, could he have saved me perhaps? Um, at the same time, they were looking at the bottom line. They were just looking at spreadsheets. They didn't care about names. And I wasn't shocked because I got the call, uh, early December. And I want to say I did four shows after yeah. I knew that I was going to be done after that fight. Uh, UFC 207, and um, it was kind of ballsy by them, because you know, I could I could have just went on a, <laughs> I mean they would have turned my mic down pretty quickly, but I, you know, but I didn't, I didn't because that's not who I am. Right. Um, I said my goodbyes, and you know the hugs, the tears, that's the tribute. Every it, by not getting a proper quote unquote send it off, tribute, thank you, on the television production, I received a hundred times, a thousand times more 
love, praise, and appreciation via social media or friends or who I, I was trending. I'm like my my <laughs> sister goes, You're trending. I go, Well, I wish I was trending for something else, but wow, <laughs> I'm trending. Like so I, I I I got all that. And that means more than somebody putting together a feature, which would have meant a lot, trust me. But that means more. And it was awkward for the UFC because I was high profile. And I think they were somewhat trying to downplay it, um, you know, and, and not make a big deal about it and move forward, if you will. Um, and so going back to Tony Orlando, so I go upstairs after the show and all the hugs and, you know, and I'm, I'm numb at that point, I, you know, and I just don't know what to think, you know, and then I don't know what my next job's going to be or when it will start. And, um, there's a sushi restaurant at the, uh, MGM that I went up and, uh, met Tony Orlando and John, his son, and, you know, some, a couple other people, um, there and Tony gets up right away and he big, you know, big Greek, handsome dude still, that big ass mustache. And he gets right in my face, Vince. And he goes, Michael, I want you to know something. And I want you to remember this because it's very important right now. This is Tony Orlando. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you are the brand. The UFC is not the brand. You are not the UFC. You are the brand. And now he's holding my cheeks. Like literally Vince, he's holding my cheeks in that, you know, Greek Papa way. Sure. And he's looking and he's freaking looking me in the eyes. He goes, you are the voice of MMA. You are your brand. You are not just that. And this is going to work out. And he went on and I was like, wow, wow. And I have heard since from numerous people that have talked to Tony directly that he's still pissed off at what happened. And he has vocalized it <laughs> like legit, legitimately saying, Mike Goldberg's the man. He did it. That was the worst move the UFC. Like, and Tony's said that to people. And so now I'm like, Hey mom, Tony Orlando's still on my <laughs> circling back. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Tony and, 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 and you know, it could, whatever. It didn't have to be an athlete. Vince. It, it was, it was a man who was a freaking icon. Tony Orlando's iconic. And for him to care and to look at me like a, a father figure and, I mean, like I said, in that Greek way and grab my cheeks and, and give me a kiss on the cheek. It was like, wow, things are going to be okay. You know, I don't know when they'll be okay, but uh, you know, when he stopped talking to me, I'm like, things are going to be okay. And I probably right after that ordered a double. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure I got a double after that. (laughs) No, that is all. That is so, that is so awesome. You know, um, my, my next, you know, got a couple questions left. Not too many, not too many more. Just a couple more. But my my next question was, uh, you know, what what made you sign with, with Bellator? And uh, before I ask that, though, two things jump out to me, which I think is hilarious. Right after that happened, number one, the UFC is is yeah. in is in uh, Arizona. I want to say, or maybe yeah. California. They were yeah. Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, a fucking dude. Like, oh, yeah, like two weeks yeah. later. And they're scaring the crowd. Holy fuck, there's Goldberg. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting at home like, what the fuck? So, so I wanted to go because BJ was fighting. Yep. BJ's my boy, man. That, Baby that, J. You know, 
Even even though I baby J exactly, I'm the only one who called him that. I'm the only one who called him the prodigy as well. But you know, we can you know, I, it's a tongue twister. You know, prodigy's a hard word sometimes. Yeah. Or at least it was that night. But baby J was training at my buddy's gym during the week, and I spent time with him. And um, I wanted to go and watch baby J. Well, I went with my my master, Master Paul McGowan, and we were up in a suite. And as it got closer to BJ's fight. Well, it got master, like people saw me kind of walk in. It was extremely <laughs> fresh, obviously. It was yeah. the, basically the next show. Yeah. And um, one, ironically, that I wouldn't have done because it was a fight night, but still it was the UFC in Phoenix. And master said, you know, you should walk around the concourse. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, for that. I, I, but I, the humble part of me, Vince, is going, no, you know what? I'm... I'm no, I'm good. All right. And you know what? It was going back to the tribute. It was remarkable because in my mind, every person who came up to me, I was thanking them as well. Sure. And that's how I took it. Thank you for the honor of that. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for enjoying it. Thank you for taking the time. And then I get down near BJ's fight and master goes back to the suite. I go, I'm just going to, try to get a seat so i do the old like where's the usher <laughs> sneak down and into this row of seats and these dudes look behind and i go is anybody sitting here and I go, no i think you're good and then they look back again and they go holy shit so i'm starting to watch the fight and it's like all right so bj's coming up i one of the cameras is shooting towards me now, Anthony Giordano is our director. He's, he's my boy. I had dinner with him the night before. <laughs> I know the whole crew. I, full truth, Vince, I thought that they were in commercial break, and the boys saw me, and so they got the camera on me, and I gave them the shock of bro yeah. to say hi to everybody in the trucks. Well, that was not the case. No. Of all the people, they cut away. And there I am doing the shotgun. So in the truck, there were a lot of WTFs going on. Oh, sure. And supervising producer was going to Anthony. Did you know he was here? Did you know that was him? Anthony's like, no, he's he's supposed to be in a suite. And Dana, the red, the bat phone's ringing. Like people are going like batshit crazy. And it really was just one of those. It was one in a trillion. Mm -hmm. You know, it was one in a trillion, but it was perfect and it was awesome. And I was giving love. BJ got the shit beat out of him by Yair, which sucked. But yeah, that was, uh, that was crazy. A total coincidence. And it was me being the, you know, the guy in the cheap seats, sneaking down to the good (laughs) seats for the main event. Literally, I was that guy. And uh, they got that shot of me and. uh, yeah, I guess that shot of me might, might have been uh, a shot back at not getting that that nice little uh, feature that uh, vignette done when I was done with UFC. Maybe that was maybe that was God's way of giving me a chance to dig them back. Oh, I think so, man. My face is hurting from laughing so hard. <laughs> I, I'm not, I like I almost That's shit so myself. Funny. I did. I had like my newborn baby in my arms who was like four months old, and I'm watching it, you know, and I'm like, holy shit! I'm like, this can't be. And then the you know the other time was um in buffalo so it was only a couple months after that um i went to go cover the show in buffalo and i'll never forget it because the main event 
was uh, Rumble Johnson versus uh, DC. And DC beat him, and then Rumble Johnson took the mic, announced his retirement, which to this point, he's, he stayed true to his word. He hasn't fought since. He announces his retirement, then he gives you a shout-out. Dude, on the live mic in front of everybody, I'm like, that is sweet. And then it took everything I had in the post-fight press conference not to ask Dana about that because it was on the tip of my tongue. I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, he's very vengeful. So if I say anything that pisses him off, there probably goes my credential for any other show. So I didn't ask it, but on the tip of my tongue so badly did I want to say, hey, when can we expect Goldberg to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame? Like, it was right there. But I was like, it's so out of place, even though Johnson put it out there, don't do it. But for you, when you heard about that, how good did that feel? Dude, I didn't hear about it. Well, first of all, I heard about the Phoenix thing because I thought it was on during break. And then, like, my phone starts blowing up. So that was funny. Um, I was sitting and watching because those two fighters are also two of my favorite people. Yep. Uh, Rumble and DC. Love both of those guys. Always had a great relationship with Rumble. And was with Rumble more years because, obviously, Daniel was with Strike Force and Coker and then made the way over. But... You know, great relationship with DC as well. Like, love them both. Um, so I'm sitting on my couch, and I, I, it was like I got hit by a train. Sure. And it was a good train. I, I I could not believe it. Like, I believed in our relationship. I know how Anthony and I feel about each other. People are probably going, Who, who's Anthony? Anthony Rumble Johnson. Sure. How AJ and I feel about each other, Vince. But, man, I, I I sat there on the couch and I started crying. And I also thought again, what kind of tribute, Goldie, do you want for your two decades at the UFC? Anthony Rumble Johnson did a pretty good job in a matter of, 15 words yep. on that night in Buffalo. He said a lot that came from a lot of people. And uh, it was it was really, really special. I, and I was on the couch watching it, and I was blown away. And I just burst out in tears. Like, it was just so, such an honorable thing to do and just meant so much. And I texted him later, and he goes, dude, you know me, man. I only speak from the heart, and I love you. And I was like, I love you too, bud. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And I'm sitting there as a Northeast Ohio guy, you know, someone, you know, number one, I consider you a friend. Number two, we went to the same damn high school, 18 years apart, but I won't bring that up. But, you know, so I'm like, holy shit. And, and like I said, the whole time I'm like nudging the guy who was with me, you know, my partner at the time with, with the company, I'm nudging him. I'm like, should I say something? Should I say something? He's like, no, he's like, shut up. He's like, it's not worth it. I'm like, I so badly want to raise my hand and ask him, but I was like, it just ain't worth it. But, you know, everything leads to good stuff. There's yeah. some things that happened that happened oddly there for no apparent reason. So as good as I'm it, I'm glad you didn't get yourself in trouble. As much as you love me, I'm glad you didn't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> you might have just gotten. Mike Overboy is never my friend. You're not my friend, Wiley. Yeah, yeah it is. It all. You made, you made the right choice. You made the right choice. <laughs> it is what it is. I didn't. You know, I didn't want to accidentally commit suicide or anything. You know, all that. All that yeah, good stuff. <laughs> Subject for a different subject for a different day, but speaking of the coronavirus, no. Anyways, so hey, look, you're with Bellator now. It all worked out. What can we expect from Bellator coming up? It's been a good ride so far, but now they're coming back. MMA, Mike, I could tell you right now, you know, Goldie, more than ever, 
MMA is peaking. It's it, people are loving our our, our our MMA content right now is getting more hits than it ever has with Keon Sports. I don't know, you know, maybe it's only the dog out there right now, but whatever it is, people are really grasping to it because they have nothing else to compete with at this point. There's nothing else on, and I think people are finally starting to get hooked on it. What does Bellator have planned for us? So we are we're coming back after five months off. Um, now, much like the early show that Dana talked about, Fight Island, way, way back, it didn't happen. You know, anybody who knows anything about any, anywhere and anyhow knows that that was a Disney decision as well. Sure. Uh, we're owned by Viacom CBS, and so there were certain really high precautions taken, and I think there should be. I just did a home COVID test uh, about an hour before we started talking, and I it's off in the FedEx, and... You know, I've got to be negative before I can even get on the plane, and then we'll be tested there. But here's what Bellator has for the future. Bellator has, and Viacom has invested the money the past few years into getting fighters, getting top fighters, getting the, 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 the rising stars, the right contracts to keep them in the right promotion, which is Bellator. And at this point, I will put our top five in most divisions against the top five in any other organization in the world. Now, since everything has gone down, CBS and Viacom got married again, which opens up CBS cable where during our time off, we've had a bunch of replays. Bellator's had a ton of replays on, you know, the CBS sports cable side, which is amazing. Um, it opens up opportunities for multi-tiered programming, CBS, CBS Cable, CBS Online, maybe some Paramount, much like the UFC did with the Big Fox, FS1, FS2, and so on. So it, it opens up that opportunity. So basically, in summation, what I'm saying is that the roster is in place, the television outlets are in place and now is time for Bellator to become a regular a regular event that people know is always going to be there for them. if it's every other Friday or every three Fridays and and everybody needs to know where it is because when it changed from Spike to Paramount the demographics of that station change and so those promos do a little bit less, at least from a TV side. Now, if you're an MMA fan, you're going to find us and you're going to find great fights. So we're in a position now to put together a consistent schedule of outstanding fight cards and build on that and put it on multi-tiered stations and productions. Viacom owned Pluto TV. Bellator is going to have its own 24-hour channel on Pluto TV, which, by the way, is free. Uh, you download it on Apple TV or computer, whatever. You know, it's free. Pluto TV is owned by Viacom. And so all of our Bellator stuff is going to be on there. So people are going to have that, you know, equivalent of UFC Fight Pass, but they're going to have it for free, uh, which is outstanding. And and so, you know, not to, you know, not to go back to Wall Street and, and Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen, you know, you know, we're, we're going for the big time. We're going for the majors here. <laughs> um, we're, you know, Bellator's legit and uh, Bellator fighters are legit. And the top ones are as good as any in the world. 
and we're going to be able to showcase them and showcase them consistently. And um, we start next Friday um, with a good solid card with Aaron Pico on it, with Ricky Van Dejas on the card, who, of course, had the big head kick knockout of James Gallagher, who's truly a star force right now. Sergio Pettis, Anthony's little brother, yep. looked great in his Bellator debut. Uh, he's fighting Van Dejas basically for the number one bantamweight contender spot, uh, which would be outstanding. And then our fight card two weeks from then is headlined by the rematch between Michael Chandler, multiple-time world champion, and Benson Henderson, multiple-time world champion. And there's no love lost there. And Benson doesn't dislike many people. I've known Benson. I went to Benson's wedding. He pretty much loves everybody except Michael Chandler and a couple more people. But Michael Chandler is what he does not like. Um, And so that's what we have coming and. And I'm excited. Our production team's excited. Um, We miss the excitement of the sport. We miss doing what we do for a living because we love what we do. And we miss the camaraderie. And it'll be six feet, you know, between us as we have camaraderie. But um, I can't wait to get on a plane Monday and head to Connecticut and get ready for our show on uh, Friday. I can't wait. It's been uh, way too long since... My last show, February in Dublin, Ireland, that's for certain. No doubt. Last question for you. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us here. You are listening to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Orange, baby. Hell yeah. Oh, you make sure you let Maynard and Palmer and all those dudes know that because <laughs> I do every time I see them. Oh, <laughs> uh, for sure. Maynard was awesome. He went off for like 95 minutes. It was just amazing. He's awesome. He's a good dude. I love him. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I mean, he... he's a good Sparty. He's a good Sparty. Rashad <laughs> Ivan's roommate in college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. they got a story on there. Freaking hilarious. I'll, I'll post that underneath oh. this one later. It's hysterical. Um, so let. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it's freaking hilarious. So, let, you know, last question for you as, as we look forward to the Bellator future here. And to me, it's a bright one. Um, and, and, and it's ironic because we mentioned Japan earlier. You know, first I think the first freaking question out of the gate was about Japan and, and fans not cheering and stuff. So I think you know the, the um, I know what it's like. I've been in uh, I've been in, I don't want to say arenas, maybe nothing that big, but I've been in gymnasiums and stadiums where it's been awfully quiet and it could sometimes throw you off. But in this development and and, and the way it's going to be, I think you're going to be fine. But anyways, that's not even the question. So the the question was is. The glory years. All right, I've been binge watching like crazy. I've been I've watched the first eighty nine UFCs in the last like three wow. weeks. I bought the the series on DVD, like the first two hundred on DVD, and I just been because I work from home, so every day I'm just binge watching as sure. I work. And so you watch me, you watch me age like drastically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You look younger. I'll say this now. I'm not, you know, and I'm not kissing up. So I'm on UFC eighty nine, right? And um. And because I think Brock Lesnar is about to take on Randy Couture for the title, and like two more, two more fights here. But you know, it's you look younger now, like you look in better shape now. Now we're the the wheels are way off the cart, so I'm just gonna go for it. You look in better shape now than you did back then. What are you doing? Like, what's different now? Because you legit, man. I'm not, I'm not kissing ass. You, you know me not to be a kiss ass. You look much better now. What are you doing? Um, just better, just better diet, better exercise plan. Um understanding that you got kind of got to keep your youth because you know hd turned into 4k and who knows what's coming next and you know that really really is a bummer sometimes if you had a rough night so 
No, I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm a professional is the way I would put it. And so I, I try to treat my body as, you know, as well as I can during my time in between. I always do the best to keep my voice where it is because that's how I support my family and make my living and, you know, love my life. And I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Sure. Um, you know, having a, a wife, uh, a wife now a few years younger than I am keeps me running. Um, <laughs> and I and I still play men's league. And my son's on my line. He never passes me the puck because he's a little shit. But it's also because he's usually top of the circles and I'm still in a neutral zone trying to catch up. So it would be offsides in all fairness to Cole. But um, I appreciate that. It just just better, just, just better overall. And, you know, I, a little bit, of course, I'm sure I've been there, done that as well. Went through my years where, um, you know, I was working all the time. And so I wasn't staying on a good routine. I wasn't eating well and, um, wasn't giving myself time in between days and nights of fun. And, you know, more of the beer with the boys when I, during my hockey days, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to stay mean and lean. In November. Yeah, looking good, man. So here's the actual question after, you know, five minutes of bullshit there. So the actual question was this. I've been binge watching like crazy, getting my Matt Hughes, my Tito Ortiz, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, all the, all the legends that we all know and love, Baby J, all of them that we know and love. Who are the guys now in Bellator? When you think we're going to look back from now, 10 years from now, we look back and say, wow, these were the three or four fighters that truly put Bellator over the top. I know I love Jake Hager. He's one of my favorites also because I'm a, you know, a, a pro wrestling junkie. But, you know, is, is he going to be one of the guys? Or who, who do you believe is going to probably be the four or five guys from Bellator that we're going to look back and say, wow, those guys put them on the map even more than they already are? Um, I, I, can, I can get you this. Um, and uh, Jake hit me to do that promo for uh, his AEW, man. Yeah. I thought I was just doing like, like a quick hello. And man, they got a lot of use out of it, which is kind of <laughs> cool. So it was kind of funny. He's a great dude. He's a great dude. First kid that comes to mind, AJ McKee. Okay. AJ McKee, 22 years old, never been defeated. His father, Antonio, is his trainer. Uh, his father, Antonio, fought in the UFC. I called the father's fight. And now I'm calling son's fights. Uh, so that's kind of fun. AJ McKee would be the the first one that really comes to mind as a young guy that is establishing himself. The greatest fighter in Bellator right now, who's not talked about enough, is Douglas Lima. Sure. And if you watch the last couple of UFCs, the if you watch the last UFC that was welterweight happy or heavy. Joe and the boys did talk about Douglas Lima about a hundred times. Oh, yeah. And, by the way, I called Diego's fight in the UFC. So, Douglas Lima would be a guy right now that's amazing and not talked about enough. We've I got, agree. you know, champions in different organizations like Gabe Gard Musasi. Obviously, a lot is being talked about when you look at... um you know, like Gegard Mousasi, or you look at other champions that fight in an organization like, you know, uh, uh, Henderson, um, Ryan Bader, and the success he's having now. But when I look at people that are truly going to put us on the map, 
Michael Venom Page, sure. the Brit. A little bit of Anderson Silva in him when you look at the body style. Um, Michael Venom Page is a ton of fun to watch. He's a just tremendously talented striker. I mean, you could even say he's, you know, he's a little bit like, you know, the man who basically took the throat away from uh, from Anderson Silva. And so he's one to definitely keep an eye on. Keep an eye on James Gallagher. Um, he is the guy at SPG. And if you've got Jan- John Kavanaugh's belief, then you have a chance to be one of the greatest of all time. I, I wonder what is going to be of Logan Storley, you know, five times, I think six times state champion, the way they do it in North Dakota. Amazing wrestler at the University of Minnesota. Very young in his career right now. Um, but with those type of wrestling credentials, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what he develops into. Aaron Pico has had a really rough start as a pro, but he might be one of those guys who opens five and five and then wins 17 in a row. Um, so I would look at him as another one and, I'm trying to get you a wild card here. I'm trying to look at somebody who's who's really an up and comer on our roster that would be considered a wild card to some other people. Here's one. Maybe Roger Huerta will reestablish himself, which would be kind of cool. Everybody knows the story of Roger Huerta. And um yeah, I would I would say watch those guys closely. And uh, watch some of these guys like Vadim Nemkov. We have a, a handful of guys, Vince, that all train under Team Fedor. And, and the great Fedor Emelianenko treats them like family. And um, they are tough, tough dudes. And uh, that's actually Bader's next fight at 205 against Vadim Nemkov. Faders uh, guys, so watch those Russians that come out of the Team Fedor camp. But uh, the one I would think about first would be AJ McKee, and with my love for a guy like Anderson Silva and his style of fighting, MVP and uh, Douglas Lima's already, uh, you know, a superstar. He's a stud. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, with most that entire list, especially Lima. Lima's a guy that they don't talk about very much. So when he got mentioned last week on a completely different program, I'm like, that's sweet. Like, that's a guy who could absolutely do it. It could have said Bellator champion. I mean, I'd say UFC, you know, UFC, Sergio Pettis, you know, younger brother of former UFC champion, man. Like, you know, they're not going to get tongue lashed, but you're right. They should talk about him a lot and, and deservedly so. And he trained with Brian Stan for a long time. So. Lima is definitely a guy that I'm glad that they did talk about because I would put him up against any welterweight in the world. Well, yeah, and don't insult the fan. I, you know, that's one thing I've always learned. Don't insult the fan. Don't treat them like, hey, we are the only organization in the world. And a lot of promoters, um, they need to understand that. They need to realize that. And that, that is definitely something I've always said. Give the fans some credit. Don't speak down to them. Don't pretend like you're the only game in town. Yes, it's no good for business if you mention the competition too many times. I get all of that. But when it, this is a different world we live in now when it comes to fighting. And nobody wakes up, you know, you see the shit on TV, it's not real. Like, when, you don't wake up, go to the fighter house, 
and all of a sudden you're this ultimate fighter star. That's not the way it goes. All these guys have to start in the indies and work their way up for the most part. You see this Dana White contender series, you see all this shit, but at the end of the day, there's more than just the UFC. So absolutely, that's another reason I'm glad we had you on. I think you guys are doing great things. So glad that you're back. Um, want to wish you nothing but the best of luck. We'll talk to you again soon. And one last thing about Aaron Pico, you know, if you go back and listen, totally different fighting style, but if the, the fans want to go back and listen, two weeks ago, um, I think it was like Father's Day weekend, we had on John Fitch. Well, if you look at John Fitch's career record, he started off 3-2-1. and one. Six fights in, the guy was 3-2-1, and one, went on a freaking tear where he won 17 straight before he ran into GSP, which everybody ran into GSP back then. So, it you know, with Pico, Pico has all the skills necessary. I think now, honestly, Mike, now a little bit of the pressure is finally off of him a little bit. We might now finally see what he could do without all the hype behind him and all that pressure. It's like a hitter. Sometimes if a hitter starts pressing in baseball, I know you love baseball like I do, when it when a hitter starts pressing, you know, maybe they go through a little slump. You never know. The talent doesn't leave you. Sometimes it's, it's just about confidence. Would you agree with that a little bit? Absolutely. And, you know, when you're hunting a knockout, you, you're putting yourself in a great position to get knocked out. Um, and, and I love John Fitch. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's a good Big Ten guy. Walk on at Purdue ends up being team captain. Fights for us at Bellator. And uh, you want to talk about embrace the grind. I mean, that's a dude right there. But Aaron Pico, and no disrespect to John Fitch or anybody else in the world, Aaron Pico started traveling the world at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, wrestling, boxing, everything. I mean, Freddie Roach has been in his corner. Aaron Pico has it all. Aaron Pico could end up being on the Mount Rushmore, uh, Mount Rushmore 2, if you will, someday. So, and he's on the card next Friday. So check it out live on Paramount Network because Pico's back and this will be his first fight since he's made the move from Antonio McKee's body shop in California to uh, Wink John, uh, to Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn in Albuquerque um, and working his striking Brandon Gibson and the boys. So Pico, we will see how he has changed. And I'll leave you with one last thing, because this is one thing. And part of it is because he's my friend and he's a great guy, but it pisses me off. When people don't give Ryan Bader credit for the two belts that he holds in Bellator. Mm -hmm. I'll leave you with this. Five career losses. John Jones, a young Ryan Bader, lost to Tito Ortiz. He got knocked out, ran right into the wood chipper, if you remember what I said, by Lyoto Machida. Lost to Glover Teixeira. And Anthony Rumble Johnson. That's it. So don't tell me that this guy is not top of the food chain and that he had to go somewhere else to be a champion because that is BS and that's my soapbox. And I don't go on many of them, but that's today's soapbox brought to you by, yeah. I don't know, Irish friend. <laughs> and at the time, and, and, and fans go back and look at this, at the time, uh, you know, Machida is one of the best in the world. Everybody kind of maybe looks, they forget about it, but I'm telling you right now, man, look what Machida did to Tito Ortiz way back when, and look what he did to uh, 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 Rashad Evans. I mean, he took Rashad Evans to made him look like a damn slinky with, with how he bounced backwards. That guy was was that good. Yeah, I agree. I And, you know, maybe it just, I, I love wrestling. I love amateur wrestling. I, I just, for whatever reason, I seem to get behind those guys. I was I was a C.B. Dalloway guy, same deal. And, 
it was to me, quite frankly, I think Bader, if he it doesn't matter that he's in Bellator, he was gonna peak when he was gonna peak, and now that he is, it's all it to me it's total bullshit. Like you said, if anybody tries to knock him down a peg, it's ridiculous. His life changed when he landed that knee against Alir Latifi. Because he was if he would have lost to Latifi, he was he was gonna be in that, oh man, now I had some fights that I had to grind out a bad fight against Phil Davis, etc. And a loss to Latifi may have cost him his job. He knees him, and he gains a whole new sense of confidence and belief in, in that split second and takes it to Bellator and just not beating people, has absolutely mauled and dominated oh, yeah. great fighters. I mean, dudes like Litton Vassell, who's built like a freaking heavyweight, and I know Ryan got up to 240 for the heavyweight tournament, needless to say, but Ryan Bader gets the praise and Ryan Bader's right there with the best of the best. Absolutely. Goalie, want to thank you again. I will definitely talk to you soon. Um, I'm sure that test is going to come back negative. So you enjoy that show in a few weeks, actually next week. And uh, you obviously, man, you got a first class front row ticket on this show. Anytime you want it. Thank you. I appreciate it to a fellow Eagle. Anytime. You got it, man. And your mom's in my prayers. Okay. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Talk to you soon. So that was Mike Goldberg of Bellator. Uh, awesome stuff all the way around. Definitely, uh, you know, a mentor in this business for me personally. Um, someone I've leaned on for advice over the years. And uh, just a really good person. And someone who does it for the love of the game. Obviously, you know, everybody gets paid. No one's saying that they do it for free. But, um, you know, this guy could be doing hockey for a living easily. With as much as he knows the game. But, you know, puts his puts his life, his his uh, career into the hands of the very unpredictable world that MMA is, and uh, just does a tremendous tremendous job with it. Fellow North Olmstead Eagle, you know that is what it is. Totally awesome. Was there tonight for our guest tonight. Thank you, Mike Goldberg, Keon Sports. Thanks you as well for Mike Goldberg for Keon Sports. This is Vince McKee. Everybody have a safe, fun night. <laughs>